you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The Around the NFL Podcast has picked up the chisels. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Woo! Week three. You know the season's getting good when there's a pre-pod argument about who's got it worse, Browns or Jets fans, just to get everyone flowing before the old periscopes start. With Craig gleaming with smiles and giggles and laughter about the fortune of uh, it's it's good for him to see Dan and Mark get on each other while he just sits a thousand yards above us enjoying his human human fate. Have a nice time with it. (laughs) If ever there there was a call for a throne of ease on Greg, it's that was ridiculous, Greg. (laughs) <laughs> the Jets have one of the more humiliating games in the franchise's history. The Browns figure out a way to blow another one. I'm just saying it's You're 3-0 no with, like, you know, I'm Joe Garbage Pail I didn't at, do anything. Uh, quarterback. I didn't do anything. Oh. Yes, you are, because it is absolutely woven into the faux bra- fabric of who you are. So you are 3-0. and <laughs> Your worldview and the way that you see football is very much linked to the fact that no. your team has dominated Earth for, since the year 2000. Just There's some things. Don't tread in this territory with us okay <laughs> nobody wants you there don't go Not there invited. mark's been waiting to unfurl that uh, remark for at least a, <laughs> since thursday night well i'm not going to be i don't want dan and i to be giggled at <laughs> that to me is a bridge too far no yeah mark and I, before we get into all the games mark and i had a little disagreement right before we started because th- the nature of the jets loss was you know humiliating and, and it was you know, coming off the heels of such a great win that instilled hope in the franchise. And I was just saying it's it's more painful to think you have a chance and have it taken away, whereas Mark's in a situation where seemingly there's no hope at all. Minus it, great win. Right. There's no. It's less fun, I would say, for sure, as a Browns fan, but maybe a little more painful as a Jets fan. That's That was my take, that's all. 
We'll get we'll get to those games. We will. But there are more important teams, more relevant teams, let's face it, to talk about here in week three uh, in a week where we saw a lot of uh, interesting things happening at the top of the NFC, folks, which could have a very different look uh, come January when we talk about which teams are on by, who is the true superpower in the NFC. A lot of things to get excited about, folks, uh, especially if you are in the land of, yes, 900 plus 100 lakes. thought you were going to jump on me on that one. I don't even know how many lakes. Is it 10,000 lakes or 1,000 lakes? 10,000. Yeah, 10,000. <laughs> plus 9,000. You were That's never not... good at math. No. 10,000 lakes is wild if you think yeah. about it. Too many lakes. You seems... don't need that many. No, you can it's never almost... have too many lakes. I like lakes too, but it almost seems like a lie. <laughs> That's all. Uh, so a lot of games to get to, folks. So why don't we dive right in? Uh, we will start... In the AFC, well, actually, why don't we start, folks? In the Queen City. In the Queen City. Is that Charlotte? Well, that's one of the Queen City. Cincinnati's the other one. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Off to a rollicking start here. <laughs> Let's start in Charlotte, where the Minnesota Vikings and their defense, oh, Maron, their defense continues to make a statement one week after uh, taking down Aaron Rodgers, uh, making him look human. Minnesota took it. To Cam Newton and the Panthers' offense, the result a 22-10 to 10 victory for the Vikings. And Greg Rosenthal, the Vi- there's no way around it. The Vikings are for real, right? Oh, absolutely. And Mark Sessler, if you didn't enjoy some of the outcomes on Sundays, you're going to be enjoying this one when you watch it on Game Pass because this team that you've been talking up for weeks was faced with a 10 nothing deficit early, Carolina doing anything that they wanted, and they turned the game around with a Daniil Hunter sack safety of Cam Newton where he throws Michael Orr aside, throws Cam Newton to the ground, and that was one of eight sacks they had on the day. They hit Cam Newton 12 times. They scored 22 straight points to finish out that game. That ends a 14-game home winning streak for the Panthers, and they did it by, I wouldn't say embarrassing the Panthers, but by just saying, hey, Mm. we're tougher than you are. You guys kind of think of yourself as a tough physical team. We can't run the ball at all. It doesn't matter. Our defense is going to dominate you so much. And Sam Bradford, even though he had a rough first half in this game, made enough throws, came out of halftime, and was very good after halftime. And they went going away 22-10. to 10. It was really remarkable, the best defensive performance I've seen from any team this season so far. So the key to beating the Panthers is to have one of the most athletic defensive fronts in the NFL because that's how the Broncos beat them mm. too. I think they also, the Vikings, you look at that week one win over the Titans, the adjustments that they made at halftime. Yeah. It happened again. Very few teams are adjusting the way they are. And and you can even say early in the game maybe they adjust because Cam Newton looked great. I thought he's looked like the best quarterback in the league again the first two games. In the first quarter of this game, he has thrown beautiful passes to get up 10 nothing. They make some adjustments. The Panthers' defense only gives up 34 yards, total yards in the first half. But the Vikings have a way of staying in these games even without their offense. They had a safety. They had a punt return for a touchdown. And then once Bradford and the offense got it going a little bit in the second half, it was all she wrote. The Sunday night win over the Packers was obviously impressive. But when you factor in they're opening up their building and they have the home crowd going nuts and it just a lot of things seem to be going their way, you say, okay, nice win. But you go down to Charlotte, a place where the, the Panthers have looked absolutely unbeatable um, since last year, and really give it to them. You need to now 
anybody that doesn't believe in the Vikings, and it's still early, of course, but without Adrian Peterson, uh, with Sam Bradford Bradford entrenched, this team looks like they're for real. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the combination of Cam Newton and Kelvin Benjamin just three or four days ago as this unstoppable force that no team can deal with. Zero yards off one target for Kelvin Benjamin. One target. Wow. With a couple minutes left possible? in the game, and that was a miscommunication that should have been picked off uh, that Kelvin Benjamin went the wrong way. They, I think the return of Xavier Rhodes help, helped. Their cornerbacks are so physical. Devin Funches and Benjamin didn't have a catch between them. After the game, Captain Munderland said he doesn't really think Funches is a very good player and that they focused on stopping Kelvin Benjamin. So these were some physical cornerbacks that were more physical than than the Panthers receivers in this game. And there's just so many different Vikings players, Vikings defenders that can get after. I mean, Everson Griffin, three sacks, three tackles for loss. Anthony Barr ran down Cam Newton to help stop a drive. Harrison Smith had a big safety blitz. And Mike Zimmer, he had Cam Newton scrambled. I mean, because they were doing their double-A gap blitz where you didn't know who was going to rush. The whole second half, they had no answers for, for who, was, who they were sending in terms of their blitzers. They beat... The Packers and the Panthers in back-to-back weeks, two AFC, two NFC superpowers. The two best quarterbacks in the league, perhaps. Can we call the Vikings a superpower if they don't have a running game and can't protect Sam Bradford? It's a fair question. No. Well, yes. I think I think you can because they're not gonna. They're not a perfect team. They're gonna have to win in strange ways. They're not gonna go sixteen and zero. They're gonna have some weeks where they can't overcome. Their formula that. for playing invites close games. A- absolutely. So they're gonna have tough weeks, but their toughness and their defense, I think, still keeps them as a super. Do you think Bradford is playing just as well as anyone could have expected Teddy Bridgewater to? Well, it depends what you're expecting from Teddy. Well, I think Teddy Bridgewater statistically is probably never gonna blow you away early in his career, but he threw fourteen touchdowns last season. Um, had some interceptions too. Bradford showed seems to be showing great chemistry yeah. with Kyle Rudolph. Number the whole, one, the whole Kyle Rudolph digs last week. A, a different player this year, Kyle Rudolph was really good on the intermediate throws. Even though their offense did nothing in the first half, they had three fairly long scoring drives in the second half. The whole hook of the Teddy Bridgewater uh, injury, which made it even doubly painful, was a lot of people thought he was going to become a uh, next-level type uh, version of himself. So we'll never know now. But Bradford doesn't have to be dominant with this defense. You know, He could just right. be hold the fourth right. guy. They but, scored 12 points today. It wasn't their offense. When you're supported by that defense, I think any quarterback would be in good shape. Panthers now 1-2, and two, more losses than they had all the regular season last year. And now the Vikings have the tiebreaker in a head-to-head, so keep an eye on oh, that. Oh, yeah, wait, one last go thing. Down. I've yes. heard people blame some of the Panthers – um, this was sticking in your crop. Oh, yeah. I've heard multiple analysts say, well, the protest this week, I think that wound up being a big distraction. That was a draining part. And, you know, I'm not trying to minimize what that meant for the city. Obviously, it's it's a city the police shooting. It's a city changing the event. But when you try to take that event and say what it meant for a football game, well, did it not count in the first half of that game when they were absolutely dominating? It, it only showed up in the second half that it, it just like, all right, people back off a little. Saying, come, come back to us. Come Adam. back to us, people. I, you're like saying it. more original thoughts and stop parroting what exactly. other people say. Moving on, gentlemen. So we talked about one uh, Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl team from last season. Let's talk about the other one, the Denver Broncos. Who, listen, listen, come back to us around the NFL podcast. So the, this room was not thinking too highly of the Broncos, uh, especially because of their quarterback ex- uh, unrest. But here's Trevor Simeon now, who uh, has the Broncos at three and zero. 
and Trevor Simeon was asked to do things that maybe you wouldn't think someone uh, at his level uh, would be able to do. He was able to pass the ball downfield, make plays, and in the end, the Broncos defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 29-17 to in Cincinnati, my anti-lock of the week. Uh, anti-lock breaks, lock of the week? I don't know. I'll work on that. <laughs> but anyway, I thought Cincinnati had this game in hand, but Wes, the Broncos are doing it all. It was a back-and-forth game, and I think – by the end of this game, it hit home to me that the Broncos are better this year than they were last year because Trevor Simeon is better than Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler. Interesting. I guess that's true. And he- he's not – before tonight, he was not asked to make throws. He had attempted fewer passes of 20 or more yards than any quarterback in the NFL entering this game. And then he hooks up with Manny Sanders on a 41-yard TD, drops one in the bucket for Demarius Thomas on a 55-yard TD, had a nice pretty throw to Jeff Hireman for 26 yards. He was letting the ball go, and I think that was a that was an emphasis from the Broncos. They wanted Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders more involved in their offense so they wouldn't be a one-dimensional. I think watching the first two games, that's a very fair statement that they're better than they were. And the defense, you know, all these teams, you look at the Cardinals – and the Panthers don't look like the way they did at the end of last season right now. But Denver, and they talked about it, their defense said, we're just roll. It's all one big thing. There is no last season in this season. And their defense has played that way every single game. And they're getting better quarterback play. Two 100-yard receivers and Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas today. Simeon can do it. Listen to these numbers. 23 of 35, 312 yards, 8.9 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, no interceptions, took only two sacks. 132.1 passer rating, and I, you know, I owe John Elway a bit of an apology because this is the guy that they had yes, in this do. system. <laughs> yes, you do. Well, some of us own up to our, uh, you know, our wrong statements. That's all. I, and I'm saying, okay, well then, you know what? Credit to you because you are doing that. Yeah, Credit to and, Dan Hansis. Okay, so what I'm saying here <laughs> Great is, job, Dan. <laughs> thank you. You guys should all work on it yourselves. Trevor Simeon. Uh, looks great. He looks like the guy that they needed. And listen, they signed Mark Sanchez to be the quarterback, so it's not like this was plan A. But he was in the system, so Elway looks like he found somebody. John Elway was uh, – it was noticed after the game that he at replied at some guy who responded to him when he took Trevor, Trevor Simeon a year and a half ago saying, why did you waste this pick on Trevor Simeon? And the message didn't say anything. It was just an at, at this guy, but to that one. And I love <laughs> thinking about that John Elway is potentially that petty that he's going after some guy on Twitter saying, how you like me now? Not that petty, that competitive. Yeah. I mean, wait, all of us were snipping at each other all day long about things we've done oh. and said. So we're just as, we're essentially the equal of John Elway. I just said I Elway. love it. I just said I love it. I love that he's sticking it to I'm just guy. saying I see us as the equal of John Elway. <laughs> What uh? What's your concern level of the Bengals? You you said before this game, are we sure the Bengals are that good of a team? What What's your thought after it? Well, they're now five and seven in their last twelve games, so that's not really a playoff contender type of streak. But they've also played quality competition. You're losing to the Broncos. You're losing to the Steelers. I don't want to. I don't want to ding them too much, but they definitely need Tyler Eifert back in their passing the game because it's all AJ Green right now. But they, but they haven't looked good. I think there's a way you lose these games and you you think better of them. But the f- week one, I think they were really dominated. Lucky to get a win last week. Yeah, I know. I know the conditions were strange, but th- yeah, they were significantly outplayed by Pittsburgh. And then it sa- it sounds like in this game, at least in the second half, they were. Maybe we shouldn't be so surprised, by the way, that their offense isn't as good because. 
Marvin Jones, who's playing like a star in Detroit, and Mosa who's doing things in Atlanta, and Tyler Eifert, who's out with the foot injury. They're in a really bad place right now. It's a lot of firepower. That's how they, they have, they're, maybe they're still figuring it out. How, how are they going to make this work? I think Eifert's the key. He's a true difference maker, one of the best red zone weapons in the entire league. Moving on, gentlemen. Hmm, here's a surprising outcome. Uh, this one, a uh, matchup between uh, two Pennsylvania teams, the Eagles who have a quarterback in Carson Wentz who beat up on two bad teams in the first two weeks of the season, and now all of a sudden you get Pittsburgh. What's going to happen? But guess what? Carson Wentz uh, took it to the Steelers, gentlemen, uh, Chris Wessling, a 34-3 to win so where Wentz looked great and the Eagles' defense looked outrageous, huh? Wentz looks better every week, and after a week in which – uh, the Ben Roethlisberger comparisons were bound to happen because they were playing against each other. Two guys who have both been passed over by the Cleveland Browns, both six foot five, two forty, athletic. If people haven't seen Ben Roethlisberger, if you're young and you didn't see him in his first few se- first few seasons in the NFL, one of the most athletic quarterbacks of the 21st century. Wentz is just like that, and his ability to keep his eyes downfield. While, while there's pressure in the pocket, really shown through today. 73-yard touchdown to Darren Sproles when he evaded a couple of would-be sackers, kept his eyes downfield, and floated Greg's favorite part of Carson Wentz's game. A catchable, feathery ball oh, yeah. to Darren Sproles. Catchable ball. Mm. Nice, soft. Touch. No question that Wentz is you know, much more than a lot of people thought, including people right around these parts in our offices. You know, People were all over the place on Wentz, but – it's not just that, because this team and the way that the defense is operating is a whole other side of the story. The Eagles suddenly are a look much more like a complete team than anyone would have predicted. Well, I think Jim Schwartz is already joining the Josh McDaniels mm. for the top two candidates for head coaching vacancies in January. And they Fletcher Cox had two more sacks again today. Pushed, they pushed that pocket all day long. There was no Steelers ground attack. Big Ben had rushers in his face. Fletcher Cox averaging a sack a game over the last seven games. Brandon Graham playing well. Connor Barwin. Malcolm Jenkins had a great game. This is a stifling defense right now. I mean, they they held the Steelers to three points. That I mean, with with the secondary that they have, uh, and they, and I think they're getting great safety play out of Jenkins and, and Rodney McLeod. But uh, with those cornerbacks, you thought that was going to be a weakness matching up against the Steelers, holding Pittsburgh to three points. This this might be the most surprising score of the season. I know they were 2-0, and oh, but just the way that the actual scoreline, 34-3, that's the biggest loss, I think, with Tomlin since 1989. It's biggest loss in the Tomlin era. Steelers moved the ball through the air early, but this score looks lopsided because there was no garbage time stats. The Steelers just couldn't get it going in the second half when they were down by a lot, and they couldn't pad any stats. They... I, they really missed Martavis Bryant in this game. You've got Sammy Coates is good for one forty-yard play a week, but doesn't do anything else. Eli Rogers left with a toe injury and never came back. Yeah, Marcus Wheaton dropped three passes. There's no Ladarius Green, so I think it's finally coming. The chickens are coming home to roost a little bit in the passing game. Perfect timing for Le- Le'Veon Bell, who's coming back next week. And Tomlin told the CBS crew, "L Bell will be starting." There's no like easing him back in behind D'Angelo Williams. Well, I mean, up until this game, though, D'Angelo Williams looms over the last two seasons as one of the best free agent signings by any team. You couldn't have asked him to have done any more. But 8 for 21 today in that Philly line. Man, that Eagles fans who were in such a low place a couple months ago, wondering everything that was going on and wondering if there would ever be a bright spot, 
You're averaging over 30 points <laughs> a game right now, and you are killing teams. How? And you have the feel that you have a quarterback for the next X amount of years. You know, it's not 21 like years, Greg. I think <laughs> the most surprising thing with Wentz is that you expect the big plays, the highlight plays. But with a rookie quarterback, you also expect a ton of mistakes. And he's the first quarterback in history to throw zero interceptions in his first 100 pass attempts. And how about the as gut, a rookie? How about the guts to go to him? When he hadn't played at all in the preseason, he's coming off the broken ribs. This is the biggest win-win trade I can ever think of through three weeks mm. in NFL history. The fact that the Vikings are sitting there with with Sam Bradford looking great at 3-0. and They're ha- very happy with this. Give and Doug of course Peterson Eagles- credit. Yeah. I think he saw this in Wentz and led to the trade. And frankly, this is one of the best coach teams in the NFL right now. And this is not Kansas City's offense from last no. year. There are other no. elements to it. They're playing with pace. It's a different situation. The NFC East, little... More interesting now. I, mean, I think the Giant, you know, Giants had a rough game today, but the Cowboys, yeah. the Eagles, they're a little more. Might ultimately more. live up to their 88 primetime games this season. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> more fun to watch division than they were last year. And if we're handing out, you know, pats on the back, how about our friend Howie Roseman? Went through the, the mud. Man who crawled through a river of duty and came out clean on the other side. See, I like that you adjusted it for the Periscope audience. You change, you know, no swearing. That's for you, kids. No, no beeps. <laughs> We're gonna that say duty. duty was for you. Absolutely. All right, moving on, gentlemen. Ow! <laughs> Next, uh, the Green Bay Packers got healthy on offense. Uh, four touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, you know, an FU performance for the ages in the first half on Sunday at Lambeau Field. Uh, four touchdown passes, two to Jordy Nelson. Uh, w- huge first half lead, and then it all went away in the second half. The offense got really conservative, and the Lions offense woke up uh, to make it a game. But in the end, the Packers were able to run out the clock. A 34-27 win, which won't quiet everybody and won't make, it, make people say, oh, all is well in Green Bay. But we saw enough. Uh, gentlemen, to think that the Packers can get this thing back on track because they really were putting on a clinic uh, in the first half of this game. Well, I think you have to be excited that Jordy Nelson might be Jordy Nelson again. He looked good. How much of that is a Lions defense that has no pass rushers left and the secondary that looks a little beat up too? Uh, That remains to be seen. My takeaway from this game is that Mike McCarthy learned absolutely nothing from his playoff debacle of a couple of years ago, Mm. continues to take the the foot off the gas pedal, Mm. And invites teams to come back on him. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There was no reason for this to be a game, uh, but their offense just looked completely different. Uh, and there were even some boo birds out uh, at Lambeau Field because it was in the second half. Yeah, they were absolutely unstoppable in the first half. So why would you change anything? Just keep taking it to them. Instead, they tried to take the air out of the football, and it almost came back to haunt him. You don't do that against Matthew Stafford, who's proving again and again uh, this season that he's a guy that can bring teams back. Well, if there's people that are upset about Mike McCarthy, <clears throat> Dom Capers also has his critics in Green Bay, and you've allowed Matthew Stafford to throw for 385 yards today. Hmm. But your t- first takeaway is the number one. Jordy Nelson was outrunning a few people on a couple of yeah. his routes today, and that would not have happened over the last two weeks. That changed everything. For I, I would say it was a little bit of a you know faux 385 because they couldn't do anything when the game was out of hand and was right. 31-10 at the half. And they were missing five defensive starters. So this is a good example of a good team playing complementary football on a day where you're not going to be at your best defensively. Five defensive starters, that's a, that's a big number. I think almost all of them played in last week's game. Detroit's missing a lot of guys too. Stafford's playing like a top 10 quarterback easily this season. So it doesn't surprise me that he, he beats up on 
eventually beats up on a banged-up secondary. Th- then whoever watched this the closest, Marvin Jones, 205 yards. How much of that came when it mattered the most in this game? Uh, the first touchdown kind of got him going. The second touchdown came when a defender fell down in the secondary. Uh, but he was he was open all game. Uh, had six for 205 mm. and two touchdowns. A 73-yard touchdown run, like I said, that got them going offensively where uh, he just took off down the sideline on eight targets. So there's no there's no question who's the number one receiver there. Golden Tate had four for 40 on six tar- targets. Good. Marvin Jones. Like this year. No, they're using him differently. It's good when you it's good when you the August reports that you see on Roto World and and uh, you know coming from all different places actually uh click and ring true and Marvin Jones to Matt Stafford there's some real chemistry there. The other the other takeaway I had from this game was on the Packers side uh in that you know Eddie Lacy had a very nice game uh 17 for 103 uh but again there's no, he doesn't look fast. In fact, he got into the secondary at one point and it was almost like when a linebacker has an interception, he's almost waiting to be tackled. I mean, he's not a guy that can blow past anybody, and he's look very strong, and it takes people, to, a lot of people to bring him down, and he brings an, another dimension to that offense. But I still don't see, and we've talked about this, uh, the same guy that was really dominant at times in his first couple of years. Dan, are you saying that P90X is not the ultimate exercise regime out there? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe it did for a little bit and then he kind of fell back on some bad habits. There's no way to really know, and I feel like he wears more and more pads every week. He's been effective this season, though, I would say. Hasn't gotten the ball. He's all right. Yeah, he's, he's doing fine. okay. He's not an asset anymore. He's not like – He's not an X factor. He's yeah, he's not somebody you have to prepare for like he was as a rookie and in his second year. And Mike McCarthy, we saw something in Football Outsiders where they did research showing him to be one of the worst records in close games over the past two decades. He should learn something from Vince Lombardi, who – in the 50s when he was offensive coordinator of the Giants, learned a lesson he carried with him for the rest of his career. Never try to sit on a ball for the entire quarter. From from then on, Lombardi said, we played every game like the score was nothing Mm. to nothing. Love it. Love it. Moving on, uh, let's let's stay in the NFC and talk about an NFC matchup. Oh, yes, the exciting NFC East. And the Redskins and Giants went back and forth all day at MetLife Stadium, uh, a game in which the Giants kind of summoned some bad memories from last season uh, as they attempt. They seem to be uh, finding ways to keep the Redskins involved, keep them in the mix. And then when the Redskins jumped ahead with a late field goal, uh, it was up to Eli Manning to lead the Giants down the field and get the victory, and this is what happened. Manning back to throw. Finds the pocket, and his pass is intercepted as he threw it over the middle. It was picked off by Sua Cravens, who made a diving interception. Manning's second interception of the ball game, and that's going to do it. Just uh, That was Bob Papa of WFAN. Just a crushing uh, way to end the game, Mark Sessler. The Giants let one get away. How'd they do it? Well, it's almost like it was almost like someone had to win this game. It was a very wild one, a uh, bit of a slop fest. You had six combined turnovers or six combined fumbles, three for each team, and penalties, 19 penalties for 200 yards that kept kind of messing with both teams. It reminded me, like you said, a little bit of some of the issues the Giants ran in last, into last year, and they lost this game, but I would rather be the Giants overtly for the rest of the year because the combination, when you look at Beckham, 
Victor Cruz and rookie Sterling Shepard, 264 yards off a combined 15 catches for that trio. Cruz looked good again. It's really just pick your poison. And, and you know, this in theory, this Redskins cornerback tandem was one of the better in the league. And they, you know, it was one big play after the next. Now the Redskins had their big plays in the past game too. I, the New York... New York has themselves to blame because this this was a win they could they could have gone a three on zero off of this and they got in their own way. Wasn't the Washington secondary decimated by injury in this game? I think D'Angelo. Uh, I mean, going into the year they were oh, going, into, going the, into the season. You looked at that cornerback uh, duo and said, "Oh, this is going to be excellent to watch them take on New York." And it's not played out. Norman, you know, Norman had of course after the game he's going to talk about we won. It was a team win. Well, you did win, but he did not win his matchup with Beckham. Beckham fried him. Rashad uh, Breeland left the game with an ankle injury, and D'Angelo Hall bl- believed to suffer an ACL injury in this game. And Connor's right up. He said if we were scoring the game within the game, this was no contest as far as Beckham versus Norman. Reminded me of last year when Greg Cosell watched the All-22 tape and said physically it wasn't even close. Josh Norman can't hang with Odell Beckham and Cub. Be- Beckham is such a different, more skilled player than almost any of these quarterbacks could claim to be, but they talked to both before the game separately the to officials. calm them down, the officials, and that annoyed Beckham. And at first I was just annoyed at Beckham for being annoyed. But the more I <laughs> the more I see how this game played out, there was a peer there was a moment where, where Norman picked Odell Beckham up and <laughs> kind of carried him like a ballerina as as Connor wrote in his piece and he's right. And the refs standing right there and did nothing about it. Isn't that exactly what they would have been talking about? The kind of shenanigans they're trying he, to cut down on? He dro- <laughs> Norman picked him up, carried him about four yards, and then dropped him at the official's feet. No flag came out. I, I have to say, though, you know, Beckham, I didn't watch this game closely, but every time I looked up at the screen and, and checked in on this game, I saw Beckham, uh, you know, having throwing some type of fit. He's, you know, you like to have guys that are emotional. Uh, but sometimes this guy, it seems like a little too much. Even at one point, Eli Manning had to come over and, and, and console him or tell him to calm down. At one point, he took a swing at the uh, the kicking net and then got clocked in the face by the kicking net. Kicking net one. Dude, it's got to calm down just a little it's bit. A little, it's and after, not a little too much. It's a lot too much. And after the game, you know, there, there are reports of him in the locker room being more upset than uh, than any player they've ever seen, kind of ranting and raving. And then that's not what you want out of your – out of your best players, but you do have to, to flip it around. You have to give credit to Sue Cravens, who looked incredible oh, last good week. Good last week, yeah. In, yeah. in some limited action as a dime linebacker. And this the season's over if they lose this game. I mean, I don't have a lot of hopes for the Redskins anyways, but the season's over. You're at 0-3. The Giants and the Eagles would be at 3-0. and So that's it's I, a monster play to keep some hopes alive. There. I have a term for this. Mm. The wounded animal game. Oh, yeah? The 0-2 game. The 0-2 game. The Redskins needed that. They're a dangerous team, even if they're not great, and they found a way. Big win for the Redskins. Can I say one more quick thing? Yes, sir. Your wounded animal analogy is dead on because Gruden coached this game like a wounded animal trying to back himself out of the corner. They they went a fake punt on 4th and 12 near midfield. Tress Way hit a 31-yard pass that it, it was a big factor in this game. And Gruden over and over did some unusual things to just keep the Redskins alive. Typical NFC game. Well, and botched the end of the first half sequence too, right? Oh, that was uh, awful. Blake, well, we've seen I, that from – it was a Blake Bortles-esque scenario where, you know, Kirk Cousins is in – you know, it, it's got he's got a chance very close tight end on New York's territory to throw a touchdown, and he just takes a sack. Time runs out. Ooh, what's that? It's not good, Greg. It's not good. Fitzpocalypse in Kansas City, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. My boy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, threw six 
interceptions, including, I think, four in the fourth quarter alone. One of eight turnovers by the Jets. Uh, the end result, a humiliating, yes, I'll say it again, 24-3 loss to the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, a, a game in which I, you know, I was talking it up uh, on Thursday night's podcast that I was excited about, that I thought it was a, would be a close game between two similar teams, similarly matched teams, and I still think uh, the Chiefs are not necessarily a much better team than the Jets, but this was just a game where everything went wrong. I would call up Tony Sperano, uh, ship him uh, to Jersey, and, and bury the balls, because if you bury the balls, you bury the pass. Bury that's, the quarterback. That's, well, I mean, Fitzpatrick was an absolute nightmare in this game, and you got to give the Kansas City defense a lot of credit because uh, they they really did uh, – they didn't put a lot, a ton of pressure on him in the backfield, but everyone was covered. And we're talking about – we were just raving about the Jets' wide receiver setup, as was the rest of the uh, football uh, covering country, about how Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, and Quincy Inunua, uh make them a very tough uh, team to deal with. No one was open, and then Fitzpatrick does what Fitzpatrick does, which is he tries to force balls, and when you try to force balls and you don't have a good arm, Chris Wessling, bad things happen. What was your impression, I don't know how closely you watch this game, of Marcus Peters, who I think is becoming like one of the best defensive players in the league? Peters was everywhere, and he had two interceptions in this game and seemed to be him and Eric Berry every time, especially, you know, the Jets had multiple opportunities to get back in this game. It was 17-3 for a long period, and the Jets had two drives that took them inside the 10-yard line that ended in interceptions. And uh, I was, yeah, I came away extremely obviously disappointed, but also impressed by the defense of, of the Chiefs, that, which was very bend but don't break. They weren't perfect, uh, but uh, they, what they did was they put pressure on Fitzpatrick. And, you know, the thing about it is – The revenge of Bob Sutton. Oh, wow. Bob Sutton revenge game. Absolutely. That was an underplayed narrative. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. But, it's just, I mean, it's just classic Jets. And I'm almost – I don't know if I, I'm taking – I'm distancing myself from the loss and trying not to be so upset because I see that – the Patriots obviously look like they're going to have at least another year of absolute dominance. So why would I, why should I get so upset anyway? But another few years, maybe we'll see. You know, slight regression. dot com uh, backslash members. <laughs> just Password. plug in, just plug in Garoppolo and keep rolling. Um, bad shoulder might not ever heal. Not that I want that to happen, <laughs> but you never know how he'll, how he'll recover. But it, the reason why the the Jets are such a, a maddening team to root for is because uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick looked like a young Joe Namath uh, in week two, shredding the Bills and throwing uh, just a litany of beautiful downfield balls. And then it got to the point in this game where every ball he was throwing was up for grabs. I thought it was uh, the most reckless QB performance you'll see all season. I mean, we mention this every week with the Jets, but what's – doubly concerning is you had to get out of this game with one of a team that's more in your tier potentially right? because you've got the Seahawks, the Steelers, the Cardinals, and I'm going to throw the Ravens up there after that too. That is, that is a tough month to deal with. And it's the, cause it's, I'll just ask you because yeah. you, you were for good reason. You, you had hope around Fitzpatrick out after last season, but Fitzpatrick after is last always week, but fine. Exactly. Yeah. But it, he's always, we've always talked about it as a one year type of proposition, a quarterback. And now you're getting the second year. And what is your P level? My, uh, the P scale, your P scale. It's about level. It's about 6.5. But it couldn't have been lower uh, well, then this how, morning. Right. Ooh. What my point is is that 
I'm willing. It's the Fitzpatrick coaster. Yeah. Forget Geno coaster. Everyone talks about okay, this guy as a fair. game manager. No one is more up and down than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick. He is not a game manager. He is, I'm going to go for broke every game. And last week, he's the best quarterback in the league. And this week, he's the worst quarterback. I'm willing to kind of throw this game out as a disaster. And I wouldn't be surprised if they play better next week. It, it just wouldn't shock me. But it doesn't make it any, any, any uh, more easy to stomach. And I just want to... You know, I want to fo- try to focus on the Chiefs a little bit. It's so easy to get hung up on the Jets for a lot of reasons, but eight turnovers. Uh, but Travis Kelsey looked very much like a baby Gronk. He had one play in this game where he, he caught a pass underneath. He ran away from Calvin Pryor, who's a good safety, and then ran over another safety, Marcus Gilchrist. Uh, impressive stuff. I'm looking forward to his dating reality show. Does Kelsey – my the one? I get the baby Gronk thing, <laughs> and you see it from here to there – but Gronk, when he's on the field, does it game after game after game. Kelsey, I feel like you get that, and then he disappears for a week or two, and then he does it again in a big way. Yeah. There are some major differences between the two. They look a lot alike after the catch. Gronk's so much better in the red zone because he's so much more physical and also a better blocker. By also, far. we're and also he's got, saying he's got the best. It's, it's fair to call him a baby version of Gronk. That's what I'm saying, like a two-year-old right. Gronk. Just a two-year-old, <laughs> a two-year-old Gronk like out Gronk on the field. 1988. There you go. Okay. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm not. You yeah. know, I I, I was just taking the, the, on the, the e network. Catching Kelsey, you gonna watch it? Good. Let's give them a plug. I'm <laughs> sure they'll return the favor. Do we, you know what? I think I think we have to check in with my old man, who uh, again, <laughs> a, a forever oh. Jets fan. He he watched the Super Bowl three conquest by Joe Namath, and it's been all downhill since. He's uh, a mensch if he did this assignment. Let's check in with Keith. His name is Keith. He's Dan's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Jets fan. What is he gonna say about the game today? What is he gonna say about the game today? The Fitzpatrick performance today was probably one of the worst I've ever seen a QB have uh, in in uh, Jet history. The question that I asked, that I think everyone will be asking, is. If I was the backup quarterback like Geno Smith, for example, when are you going to be able to get into a game if you didn't get into this one? There was certainly opportunity that the Jets had in the second half that I think Bowles just should have pulled Fitzpatrick because obviously he did not have it and he kept forcing it in particular in the red zone where he had two picks that were just horrible. So that's a question I think has to be answered. Uh, We'll see what happens next week. All right. I love it, Keith. Talking about talking about Gino. Really, get down, him in guys. the game. Again, I think right. his point was that Gino's so bad he couldn't even get into this game. Well, or that this regime hates Gino so much. If he can't get into this game, he's never going to get. And into also, it. is there a tougher city to coach in where if you even make a coaching or a quarterback switch late on a road game in week three, you're going to have to deal with it all right. week long? Is it really worth it? But I think that's how highly regarded Fitzpatrick is by their coaching well, staff, we'll see. if not the front we'll office. We'll see. I don't think it's that crazy to think Geno Smith would start. But well, we know what you think about Geno Smith. Excellent right? intro music. I like that. Is it, it a keeper? It had some funk to it. Yeah, there was a little funk to it. That yeah. was Dick Banks, of course, the immortal Dick Banks. All right. That's a keeper. Hang in there, Dad. We'll, we'll unpack this game in a full conversation tomorrow. Moving on, gentlemen. The Indianapolis Colts, wounded animal game, guys. Uh-oh. Wounded animal game. They needed it. They need it. Let's work on that for next week, Irish. (laughs) Might be a scary sound. Yeah, like a fox trapped in a trap. A Tasmanian devil. (laughs) 
The Indianapolis goes 0-2 with the 1-1 Chargers in their building. Chargers with a late lead. It was all coming down to this. And uh, what does Andrew Luck do when he needs to save the season? He looks the T.Y. Hilton. Shotgun snap near left hash. Four-man rush. And Luck throws. He finds Hilton, who spins out of the hit at the 50 to the 45 to 40. 35-30. Turns it up left hash. 25-20. 15-10-5. Touchdown, T.Y. Hilton. On second and one, he erupts for 72. And the Colts get a go-ahead touchdown. 26-22. One seventeen remaining. The Colts then forced the turnover on the next possession, and there you go, a 26-22 win, Greg Rosenthal, a game they desperately needed, and they got it. They they did. It really keeps their hopes alive heading to London this week. But watching this game, it didn't make me think any differently about the Colts. Mm. It didn't make me think they were a good team. It, if this was the only game you watched of the Chargers this year, you'd think these are two bad teams making a lot of mistakes. I mean, they got the Chargers got into that position to win – despite all sorts of problems. I mean, Phillip Rivers had a, a really poor game, I would say, overall. Jason Verrett, who I thought was making the leap, was picked on, and he was the guy in coverage on that play, and he was really the difference in the game, was luck going to Verrett in single coverage to Hilton and Dorsett again and again, those guys winning off the line of scrimmage against uh, Verrett, who was – out of the lineup, out of the game just for a little bit, so maybe maybe he was hurt in the game. I, I don't know what it was. But e- either way, Andrew Luck overall played well, but he made mistakes too. It's like he, he had a terrible interception. He had an unforgivable fumble that was returned for a touchdown. So it was a lot of mistakes by both of the two quarterbacks. I, I noticed that when every time Andrew Luck plays, Twitter has to engage in some dramatic sweeping debate <laughs> over whether he is just not a good quarterback and then he comes back and leads a game winning drive usually right. when that debate is happening well greg does this change the way that we've killed the colts all season for being an incomplete team on both sides of the ball i think there's some things they do that are interesting that they're going to win games like this but does it really change your opinion of Indianapolis on any level. No, they ran the ball well in the first half, which was good to see, but they didn't in the second half at all. Uh, Luck had an okay game, but he made some careless careless turnovers. Their defense, and I think you made fun of me for saying this last week, I think their defense is playing hard. I think they're undermanned, but they're flying around. There were plays to be made in this game, though, for the Chargers that they just didn't make. I mean, Phillip Rivers missed a lot of open throws, including a third down to Travis Benjamin when they could have killed the clock. He just missed the throw. The game would be over. Wasn't making fun of you. I thought it was funny because that was the <laughs> highest compliment you could give well, them, that's... <laughs> that they're playing hard and earth to everyone who is a college football fan. NFL players do try hard. <laughs> I mean, Jack, <laughs> at one point there was a second and 40 because Jack Doyle had been called for holding twice. Jack Doyle the, is. The, the offensive line of the Colts was a nightmare. Uh, they, they could not protect the Chargers rushing just four, which is why on the key play of the game, Chargers fans – I, there, look, a lot of a lot of fan bases have reasons to be miserable today, and in general, like they've had a tough. Little too uh, happy, as you're saying. I think the Chargers fans are in that group that because this particular group of Chargers, not to mention the team might leave, they have led in their last 15 games. They've led in the fourth quarter 10 times. They've lost 
seven of those 10 games. And they're three and 12 in those 15 games overall. They managed to find new ways to lose games each and every week. And this time it was blitzing on fourth and seven with the game on the line, but playing off coverage. And Andrew Luck just picks out an easy catch. I mean, that's a coaching issue. That Mike McCoy, who, you know, some feel like, was given it's a lot like Mike ex- McCarthy when it comes to late game play. Yeah, goal. I mean that's that's the coaching situation. Jack Doyle is Colt forty five. <laughs> is his number forty five? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we can't Probably get out of here with talking about Melvin Gordon. What happened? Two point two yards per carry. You, you you watched it, Greg? What? Get nervous. Well, get should nervous. we? Or is I it just? He, I thought he ran pretty well in this game. He made. He could have had a long of seven. Two point two yards per carry. I, I'm telling you, he ran pretty hard in this game. I didn't, yeah. I didn't have a huge problem. Spice with racks on the floor. He would have had a uh, couple more. He had 43 yards receiving, would have had a touchdown receiving if, if Rivers didn't miss him a couple times. Let's move on and talk about uh, the Miami Dolphins. Another wounded, double wounded animal game. It's like an animal sanctuary where you take wounded animals you find in the wild and then you put them into this sanctuary and then you have them fight. No, you death. don't. That is the exact no, opposite of how animal rescue operates. This is like a rogue one. A new thing. It's it's, it's not called, it's, it's an it's inhumane not, vision. We got not, we got rid of bear baiting 500 right, years ago. Bad news, guys. Bad things happen in the world. Right. And this it, sanctuary finds wounded animals and they have them fight each other. Well, right. there was a quarterback like, who suffered after suggesting that as a strategy. It's in it was like the plot. You didn't just suggest a, it, Mark. It's a plot line for an <laughs> Archer episode. All right. <laughs> uh, phrasing. Uh, here we go. You ready? Dolphins. Oh. Browns. Browns. Fell behind to Miami. It looked like Miami was going to coast. All the people, thousands and thousands of people in their knockout leagues were feeling good about their Miami pick. But guess what? The Browns were plucky. The Browns kept coming back. And after a Ryan Tannehill fumble late in the fourth quarter, they had a chance to steal the game at Hard Rock uh, Cafe Stadium, whatever it is. Cody Parker signed a day ago, lined up 47-yarder to win it. Snap is back. Ball is down. Parkey into it. End over end. That kick is up, and he missed it wide left. He hooked it again. We're going to go overtime. And as we view it, he really missed it. I mean, it wasn't close. He really hooked it left. He's hooked him left all day. That's WKRK, Jim Donovan, Doug Deacon. And uh, listen, that was three misses by um, Cody Parkey. And then the Miami Dolphins took care of business in the overtime, giving New Life J.H.I. around the left corner for the touchdown, 30-24 final. Mark, another dark day uh, for you as a Browns fan. Let's talk about it. I mean, you can look at this game a number of ways. I Yes, it had the moment where I pounded my fist on, on my work table and you guys were, you know, you knew what was happening. Everyone didn't talk to me for about a half an hour. But I'm going to tell you from another <laughs> angle, I think Dolphins fans, this was a, this was – both of these teams have a lot to work on, and I want to get to Miami in a second. But with Cleveland, I'll say one thing before we get into the Dolphins. I've watched a lot of bad Browns football over the years. We all have. They are playing hard. They played hard against the Ravens. They're undermanned, so you want to pick them apart and say they're not as talented, they don't have this or that. Well, that's obvious. Anyone watching the games can see that. But they fought today. Terrell Pryor, 165 yards off 12 touches. They mixed, they mixed in Pryor and Cody Kessler at quarterback. It is an undermanned group. They did the best they could. My, I want to say one thing about the Dolphins before we split off here. This team, if you watch what happened with the Patriots, and it's New England and it's the Cleveland, so you can have two different opponents, but super streaky. It doesn't matter what the defense is. Absolutely asleep at the wheel during the first half against New England and then start to come to life. Same thing. Tannehill, two interceptions that really 
gave Cleveland a feeling that they were in this game going into halftime. He got very hot in the third quarter, and then their final four drives let Cleveland back in the game with, I think it was four punts, a a strip sack fumble, and basically go into overtime and lead a short touchdown drive where Jay Ajayi, who's been invisible, runs in for the 11-yard game-winning score. It's a, if, if you're Miami, you have not seen the change you want to see on offense in consistency. I'm sorry. If you're a Dolphins fan or you're the Dolphins, you know, I'm not going to give you a lollipop here. I got a lollipop. It's no, neither team could come out with a win with a lollipop, but I, it's just like oh, this would have been an embarrassing loss. 0-2 oh, had what? to have a game at home. The game was lost if, if, if the Browns Absolutely. hadn't just signed a kicker on Saturday. Exactly. Literally hadn't practiced with the team and had to do it in warm. And that's a tough assignment for Which, the, by the way, I'm not going to kill that guy. Seems a little bit like. That they should have avoided that in some way, but that's besides it. This, these are two bad teams, but it sounds like it might have been like a wildly fun game to watch. Well, and it's a shame for Terrell Pryor that they didn't win because I think his performance will be remembered differently than it should have been. Yes. That's something you would see like in the 1970s. A guy playing quarterback, yeah. running back, wide receiver, and – how much? How many yards did he account for total? One hundred and sixty. Well, actually, if you if you put in passing, it was a it was about two hundred yards. Right. And they you you know they I give I give Hugh Jackson credit for all the critique he takes for various aspects of his you know coaching. He is creative, and he can't, it is a fun game to watch on Game Pass just for the quarterback thing going back and forth. But prior, if you take away that ridiculous taunting, I call it ridiculous taunting it was penalty ridiculous. last week. This team could very easily, with one made field goal, be two and one right now. They are not a two and one team. They're much closer to a one and two or zero oh and three team. But I'm telling you, the effort is there, and that's the, what the, where they were so boring on Game Pass for years because they seem to float from the second quarter on. Tell us more about Kessler. Was it sounds like he was not a liability, really? Well, I think he I think he started the game in a very raw place, and he seemed to gain a little bit of comfort, but he's limited. There's a lot of limitations to his game. They, they lost the deep ball element entirely. I mean, the but, fact that he ended up 21-33 for 244, and mentioning prior, he did something with 120 receiving yards, at least 30 passing yards, at least 20 rushing yards. No one's done that since Frank Gifford in wow. 1959. Wow. The Browns get killed, and, and for in a lot of ways they deserve it, but they did a nice job with Terrell Pryor recognizing that he could be a player and looks like they've turned him into something. Uh, That's Hugh Jackson. Yeah, turn him yeah. into a potential star. Uh, moving on, uh, led by Russell Wilson and C. Woke. The Seahawks got healthy, a 37-18 win over the 49ers at the clink. Well, not quite healthy. Russell Wilson got banged up again. What's the latest, Mark? Well, there's probably developments on that even as we're doing the show because the reports were that he was going to get an MRI tonight. Not to, not the typical Monday knee? morning on his knee. It didn't look good. It did not look good. We watched it. It looked like he got you know he got massively rolled up on the ankle bent, the knee bent. Rap sheet has weighed in. Please tell me Jared. what it said. MCL sprain. Sprain. So I mean he you listen he never even left the field. It's it's important to note that it's the opposite leg. It was the right ankle sprain that he suffered early in the year. So both legs are banged up for a mobile quarterback, and it probably will affect you know he is he is not healthy. But I will say that the bright spot coming out of this game. Everyone who wanted to doubt whether the Seattle's offense would continue to operate the way they did last year throughout the season, forget it. Not last year, last weekend's the Rams. They looked fine in this game. Yes, it's the Niners, but 100 yards for both Baldwin and Graham in the first half alone receiving and the woke bloke. Our boy, <laughs> Kristen Michael, looked great. And you know what? We've, we've all mentioned this a little bit. 
Chris has been on the Michael thing for a long, long time, but we wanted to see what he could do if you just got everyone out of the mix. They did that today, and he was as advertised. That 41-yard touchdown, we've used the phrase shot out of a cannon. That's exactly what he looked like. There was a play you and I saw. I was watching this game in the background, a one-yard loss where he's doing a spin, and it's one of the most impressive one-yard loss runs you're ever going to see. Yeah. He's just – he's much more explosive than Thomas Rawls right now. Like – on a scale of 1 to 10, Michael's at a 9.5 and Rawls is at a 3 in explosive. And this game lies box score-wise because I think all of Seattle's weapons would have done much more if they hadn't they didn't take their foot off the brake, but there's just you're not pushing, you're not you're not trying to go all out against the Niners when well, you're you up got, 27 you, to 7. And you got Trevon, Trevon Boykin in. I mean, the 49ers defense after starting with a shutout managed to give up 46 points last week despite turning, you know, turning the ball over three times. This time it was 37 uh, points to the Seahawks. This is the least hopeful team I think in the league. Even like you said, sometimes an zero and three teams a little closer to one and two. To me, they're closer to the worst team in the league. The forty. Yes, they are because the defense. The defense does not look good, and Blaine Gabbert can't shoot straight. But wouldn't you also say that part of that hopelessness to be expected is comes from a a front office that's always in turmoil and it's always backbiting. Absolutely. Well, and and looked at the two quarterbacks they had and said that'll do. Kaepernick starting by... I was surprised Kaepernick. Why not pull, put Kaepernick into this game when you're getting destroyed? Credit, More credit uh, should go to Doug Baldwin's way, who's really becoming one of the top ten overall wide receivers in the NFL. Mm. Wow. I'm still worried about the Seahawks. They don't have a good offensive line. And you get the feeling this is just going to be like one of those seasons where next spring you'll see quotes from Russell Wilson saying I never was healthy last year. And he's still going to – now you got a good ba- a good test next week at the Jets who have a great defensive line. Right. we got to see what Russell Wilson will be able to do when he's just not able to move like he likes to move uh, and he's not going to get faster after this latest. Well, latest I will season. say Bo- uh, Boykin looked – fine running the offense not that that's going to sustain itself but it's like it seems this year it doesn't matter where you drafted the guy or where he came <laughs> from he just goes in as a rookie and he does it I mean quarterbacks are being trained I mean, it's not a hot take you hear that Rams no I'm just no, saying put in your number one quarterbacks pick. are being trained to play in the pros right away not year five and six Pete Carroll said that that Russell Wilson would start next week but that's one of those right after the game yeah, thing. we'll that's see before the MRI you never know you might end up seeing Trevin Boykin, that Seahawks game yeah. might not look as tough. Put Jared Goff in the game. Look at all these guys. Nah, he's not ready. He's different. <laughs> he's different. Why is he different? Because he's coming from a college offense where every play was sent in from the sideline. He's never Didn't running. We hear off. the same thing yeah, about we'll, Carson we'll, Wentz. We'll, like, we'll get to them, is, but they're two and one. You but, saw him play in the preseason. He wasn't. It's, it has nothing to do with his physical talent. I'm just saying his pre-snap and post-snap. He's just not ready to play. We shouldn't be so sure because everyone going out there is doing things. Look at his coaching versus the coaching on other teams. That's a there fair point. Yeah. That's a fair point. And I do think there's what you're seeing around the league, and you see it in New England especially. I think smart coaches are going and getting mid-round picks, using them on talented quarterbacks and tr- and training them how to play the position versus signing a washed-up veteran and going the alleged safe route. <laughs> go play the go play the talented young player. Why not? Moving on. Here's a here's a head scratcher. Uh, Rex Ryan circles the wagons facing possible extinction. Wounded animal, animal game uh, after a ugly 0-2 start that included the dismissal of his OC. Ryan and the Bills whooped up on the Cardinals, a 33-18 win uh, that qualifies as the biggest start of Week Three, or is it, Greg? No, it was. I you, think it you're going to use the word stunner. <laughs> it was a stunning upset. Uh, I was stunned. The Arizona Cardinals went 
three and out for their first five drives of the game. They threw an interception for their last four drives of the game. That is an unbelievably bad performance from an offense that hasn't looked right this year. I think even if you look closely at that. Ryan Fitzpatrick's like this, nothing. (laughs) If you look closely at that Bucs game, you really, and looked at the offense by the Cardinals, even in that game, they, they didn't quite look as in sync in terms of consistently moving the ball on offense. They definitely had spurts, kind of like the Dolphins did. I you got to give it to Rex. You got to give it to their defense to step up and dominate this game. I don't want to hear about Greg Roman being fired and we knew what we were going to do on offense. And yes, they blew open some holes for LaShawn McCoy. They ran the ball pretty well. They threw for 89 yards on 25 dropbacks. They couldn't throw the ball at all. It was all the Bills defense and they deserve all the credit in the world for that cuz they just took this game. As a certified Rexpert, I knew they were going to win one of these two games. I didn't know if they were going to get I knew they weren't going to get both, but the Cardinals-Patriots, he was going to do something to save his his butt from going 0-4 into Week 5, uh, but I definitely did not see them laying the laying the bomb on the Cardinals. Here, here's why I said that about the Cards offense. You made a face, Wes. I made a face because, because Malcolm Michael Floyd's not playing well. John Brown's not playing well. I, it's I partly that. about the players. The offensive line even is a little up up and down. They, they started that game very, very slow, five or six drives without doing anything. So they, everything's not clicking, even in a game like that, and, and it showed up today. Well, I made the face because everyone wants to put Carson Palmer's struggles on whatever he did in the playoffs last year, and I thought he played really well against the Bucks, including a drive late in the second quarter that was as well as you'll see any quarterback play in a single drive. Yeah, he he wasn't like he he hasn't been the sole problem by any means with them starting one and two. Look, if they hit a field goal, they'd be two and one. But this was a deeply disappointing performance. It was 186 yards to seven early in the game. Wow. I mean, Carson Palmer historically wow. has always thrown interceptions and last year was quite a remarkable kind of peak season for him. I don't I don't think I don't find it surprising that the whole offense would come down a notch or two. And I and after week 3 I'm not ready to to say that it won't get back to higher levels, but it's it's a lot to ask them to go do that two seasons Here, in a row. Here's the concern if you're a Cardinals fan, you're a little nervous right now that last season almost everything worked, almost everything was perfect and you you couldn't get over the hump. And now you're trying to match that season where everything seemed to go right. And so far, some of these things that worked in your favor are not. And Carson Palmer, you know, he never had a game like this during the regular season last year, did he? Maybe outside that Seahawks no. game late in the year. but No, and, and the interceptions were in catch-up mode. Uh, you know, it the game really ended uh, much earlier than that. I think it was 30-7 to seven late in the third quarter, and that was pretty much – pretty much all she wrote after a big defensive play by the Bills. But, uh, look, they've got their plan. This was Rex's dream game. 32 rushes, 208 yards. LaShawn McCoy ran hard. They they had some holes for him. Tyrod Taylor made big plays with his legs, especially a 49-yarder early in the game. I mean, they won a game without Sammy Watkins, Cordy Glenn, and who am I forgetting was also out for this game? Ronald Darby. Those are three of the best. And like half the rookie class. Right. Three of their very best players. And those, these are guys that were even there for the Jets game. All right. Are then, not in the game, and they dominate the Cardinals. Let, then let wild. me ask you a question, because I think the one thing that, and I, I know you think I always like to pick on Rex. I'm actually not going to pick on Rex, but over his Buffalo tenure, the team has been highly undisciplined, which is on him. I don't care who the offensive coordinator is. It's been an issue with penalties on both sides of the ball. After this game, because the Bills are frisky at home no matter what happens, which is, which is true, do you have any higher trust factor in the Bills 
turning this season around, or is this a kind of game we'll look back on and say, hmm, that was weird? Yeah, I don't know if I believe that they're going to put it all together, but I thought there would be a circle the wagons game, and Rex would um, – the have, problem is he's always circling the wagons. Yeah. Well, that's part of his You're problem. You're right. You that, never know. You, you could get this Bills team in any given week. I don't have much exactly. confidence I've, that you're going to get it week after. Right. I anecdotally, anecdotally you can say, oh, I knew Rex would have his team show up one of these two games. But there's going to be stinkers along the way where right. you think you have Rex well, figured out, and you too. Can't, you can't win without a passing game. And I think they have shown over three games they can't throw right now. And Rex is going to be one of the best defensive coordinators in the league next year, I believe, because of games like this. He's got Zach Brown, Corey White, Lorenzo Alexander, Aaron Williams, Preston Brown, Corey Graham, like all these guys that are not the premier guys kind of going out there, flying around and dominating the game against the Cardinals. And Rex feeling feeling good after the game was asked about the Patriots, their next matchup. He had this to say about their quarterback Um, situation. Look, I can sit back and say, I don't care who plays quarterbacks. I know Brady ain't. I said, I don't care who plays quarterback. Steve Grogan can play quarterback. Rex, what went into the if Belichick's playing quarterback, we're coming after him. Yeah, I promise you that. I'm sorry. He is highly <laughs> tedious. How about this strategy? So obsessed Keep with the Patriots. your mouth shut for once. He's so obsessed with the so Patriots. So obsessed with the Patriots. And Belichick here. specifically. It's, yes. it's it's a little single white female. Uh, yes. Let's let's move on, gentlemen, uh, and talk about the Oakland Raiders versus the t- uh, the Tennessee Titans. Yes, we we described it as a team of ATL loser goes home match. Derek Carr threw for 249 yards and a score, and Marcus Mariota and the Titans offense remained stuck in mud. A 17. 10 Raiders win over the Titans. West is it time to make that phone call to break up with them? Yeah, pull the plug. I mean, pull the plug on the Titans. And if there's one case that you can stack against them and say this is why, they're off. Their passing attack is contested passes of eight yards or less. Mm. Those passes aren't supposed to be contested. They're supposed to be easy. <laughs> That's what they, they throw short of the sticks, and it's up for grabs. Like, the receivers aren't getting open. There's no creativity. Marcus Mariota's decision-making is regressed. This The running game, there were signs of life. Henry and Murray both look good. Uh, but you're, ta- you're talking about a defense allowing over 500 yards a game, and the Titans can't pass on them until they open up the offense and the two-minute drill at the end of the game. Why not? Yeah, why aren't they playing hurry up earlier? That's not their vision for what they want to do. I mean, it's a fair question, but that's not their vision. One stat I saw, three catches for 28 yards by the Titans receivers, wide receivers entering the fourth quarter. Oh, my God. My, well, against the Raiders, against those defensive backs. I, I don't know how I'm suddenly in the position of defending the Titans. Sorry, cannot speak tonight. <laughs> have a terrible cough. Um, but, I mean, I, I – like other people on Periscope got to see you hit the button. Well, I watched Elect the Periscope um, thing last week on these hideous interludes of me coughing that are not caught because we have a cough button for the audio <laughs> version, but they're absolutely um, a plague on the, the Periscope crowd, and I apologize. But uh, honestly, th- this plan and what they're trying to do, yeah, they're not there yet. That I get. They're not the team of ATL right now. But I, I, are you throwing – do you think the whole thing just needs to be junked? Because get rid of malarkey. Why? Why are People we saying are, that after three weeks? I get tweets all day. Is Marcus Mariota terrible? Has he regressed? Is he just not a good quarterback? I think Marcus Mariota could be an outstanding quarterback with a better offensive mind controlling his career. And I hope Josh McDaniels lands in Nashville so we can see that. To Mark's point, they should be – they're an 0-3 team in my mind, and they've managed the schedule enough to be one and two. We'll see how this AFC South plays out, but all of the offseason excitement about this division has not panned out early. 
I it wouldn't shock me if the Titans end up getting interesting later, but they're but right or now. next season. But they're frankly, tough to watch that, now. I'm just saying we've given the the Jaguars and we're all kicking ourselves for it. Maybe a, a long leash, and the Titans, th- this identity and regime they're under, they're months into it. They're also playing with a formula where they're constantly asked to play catch up when they want to run the ball, and that's all they want to do is run the ball. Do they lack a downfield element, right? That is so desperately do they lack it. Right. They'd never go down the field. Jason Morrow, Jets washout, was their leading receiver. That's why every catch ah, is contested wrong. because defenses know that they don't have to play more than 15 yards back. I mean, Mariota's been a little, a little lost for three games. He has been. Do the Raiders get any credit for this? I mean, they don't have a good defense. I don't want to give them credit because the Titans are inept in the passing game. How did Derek Carr look? The Raiders have done a nice job managing the schedule here with two wins, two road wins. I I will say they gave up 10 points, though. I mean, I know Tennessee has problems, but this would be qualified as a good day for the defense. A very chintzy offensive pass interference call negated the game-tying touchdown from Andre Johnson. And then the next play, uh, I think it was Harry Douglas, clearly got interfered with. The guy held his arm down so he couldn't jump, and there was no call whatsoever. This could easily have been mm. a tie game or a Titans win if the play, if the refereeing was a little bit more fair in that end-of-game situation. Derek Carr deserves credit. He is incredibly elusive in the pocket and hard to sack. He's been sacked, I think, what? twice all year. He was wow. sacked once today. There was one really cool play where he escaped pressure, ran around for a while, and found Michael Crabtree. And Amari Cooper, I, I, he's one of the most fun players to watch in the league. And I like, I like Crabtree. Crabtree has wins them a game every once in a while. And just reading some of the reports from this game, it sounds like this is one of those games. He seems like their number one red zone target too. He seems to really like Crabtree in short spaces near the end. Yeah, I think he likes Crabtree on contested catches. A uh, reminder that Tuesday we will, uh, you know, take a look. Perhaps choose a team of ATL, or perhaps not choose a team. But that's all going to come to a head this week as we uh, try to sort. I already out know what's the answer to that, there. but we can let that drama unfold as you wish. One, if you want to, I don't know the answer. Good tease, Mark. I like that. One thing to look for with the Raiders' defense: uh, two rookies entered the starting lineup, Carl Joseph and Corey James. Carl Joseph at strong safety, Corey Jones, Corey James at middle linebacker, and they had the two two highest tackle totals on the team. There you go. Moving on. Wounded animal game, guys. Baltimore Ravens. Well, there's a lot of them. I mean, week two is the big wounded wounded animal. Why don't we point out healthy animal game? Sounds like the Jaguars just whimpered. Do you want? Do you want a healthy animal? I mean, yeah, give me a healthy animal. There's just the Ravens. Okay, animals just dragged around the field all over the place. Dan, animal ombudsman. A bunch of carcasses. The Ravens entered uh, Sunday's game at Jacksonville at two and zero. And uh, they needed to get by the Jaguars, who were desperate at 0-2. And, and who they lean on? You know, just a guy, just a humble kicker named Justin Tucker, who hit uh, four field goals, including a 54-yarder, uh, to put the Ravens ahead 19-17. The, the Jaguars had one last chance with the maddening Blake Bortles at the controls, uh, but their uh, desperation drive at the end ended like this. Bortles takes the snap. Pumps once, throws down the seam, and it is intercepted. Zach Orr has it at the 40. He slides down, and the Hayes in the barn. 16 seconds left, and the Ravens fans are celebrating in Jacksonville. It's the classic Baltimore phrase, Hayes in the barn. WBA. So Baltimore. Jerry Sandusky with the call there. So, not that Jerry Sandusky. So, like, the Ravens are now 3-0. 
and the Jaguars could not find a way. The Jaguars that we talk, were talked up are, to me, dead at 0-3. I think if you look at the his history, how, uh, how 0-3 teams shake out, they're in deep, deep trouble now. And uh, my big takeaway from the game, another, another slow start for Blake Bortles, who uh, could not move the offense at all early on. Did get it going a little bit in the middle portion of the game. Uh, two touchdowns to Allen Robinson where, where Bortles looked a lot better. Uh, but at the end of the game, again, you know, they, they were un- unable to take advantage of some good field position. And then after the Tucker field goal, they had an opportunity. And, and Bortles took a terrible, terrible sack uh, that when he could have easily thrown the ball away and saved their last timeout and given them a, a shot, he took a, a big sap for a big loss and lost their timeout. And then the interception soon followed. So Bortles continues to be a work in progress. He's not close to a finished product at this point, at least the, the, the Jaguars have to hope. But for a team with this much Greg talent on both sides of the ball, they're 0-3 and looking again at irrelevance by uh, Halloween. And they head to London this week to play the Colts in, in a game that has not been kind to coaches leaving London. Wait, what are you saying? Well, I'm not saying anything. Hot butt? Just win or go home? I hope not. I don't I don't see the Jaguars as that type of team. I, I, oh, Gus, I, what are you, Gus Ridley's I, I don't see that happening. I don't, I'm going to root for guys to get fired after four weeks. I don't think it helps in mm. particular, especially – all right, let's look. This is a team that should be good on offense. I know they spent a lot of money on defense, but they, you kind of figured this is a young offensive team. 18 carries for 31 yards between Yeldon and Ivory, and then in the passing game, not a single catch over 20 yards. Uh, that's this is wh- supposed to be a big play offense, so that's two straight weeks where the Jaguars' offense no-showed. That is what stood out for me because what we liked about Jacksonville's attack last season and also in the preseason, especially when Chris Ivory was healthy. The running game, number one, set up, did, made you have to respect the run game. And then the, suddenly these big plays are happening downfield with Hearns and Robinson. It's going away. And Chris Ivory obviously is not whatever was going on with Chris Ivory. He, did he look healthy, Dan, today? How do you come out of the game with 12 carries for 14 yards after Cleveland, a team that everyone considers a talent moribund franchise, <laughs> lashed them last week? They destroyed them on the ground. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I would have to say I didn't watch him all that closely, but the, the carries that I do recall, especially his first few carries when they were trying to get him involved, he couldn't move the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how, where Ivory is at physically. We still don't even know what was wrong with him, so it's kind of a hard thing to figure and, out. And what a job by the Ravens, who haven't – now that's, what, three straight weeks. They've been in one-score games. They've found a way to win. And, you know, it's kind of the Ravens are feeling things when now after the game Steve Smith goes 8 for 87 and he's ripping Jalen Ramsey, saying uh, J- Jalen Ramsey said he didn't respect him as a man and – yeah, yeah Steve, calm down, Jalen Steve, Steve Smith's going on social media. You know, this is Raven season. Well, is it necessary for Steve Smith to say that either? It's not just calm down, Jalen Ramsey. He says come got, on, Steve Smith. I've got cleats with stronger thread than you. That's I mean, come Jalen on. Ramsey likes to toot his own <laughs> horn a little bit. Yes, he, he does. He's doing that against Aaron Rodgers, too. But Steve Smith can add him to Fred Smoot, who he pulled the rowboat touchdown dance on. <laughs> Akib Tlaib, Ice Up Son, Janoris Jenkins, the You're No Primetime dance. And now Jalen Ramsey, I've got more thread in my cleats than you got. Mark, Mark I, I feel like you would like that. Respect your elders. I do respect my elders. Uh, you know, You've I been just, wanting Dan and I to do that with, with you for a while. Well, it's sometimes you just recognize that it's a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so, yeah, a, a, a bad loss for, for the Jags. And uh, 
what can I say? The, the the very reason I thought the Ravens would be better this year is because healthy Flacco, who makes plays, uh, almost elite. I think you could even argue he's elite. Ooh. I don't want to go down Two that road right now. In this game, uh, yeah, not perfect, <laughs> but he also had a stretch where he had 21 straight uh, completions. I think the elite Flacco discussion is for other shows. Yeah, that probably is. But he had 21 straight. Uh, completions, which was a Baltimore record, and then had number 22 dropped one in the bucket for uh, Mike Wallace for a touchdown that went right through his hands. So uh, maybe the numbers are a little misleading as well. But uh, between having Joe Flacco, a great coaching staff, and a, a great kicker in Justin Tucker, they're going to win games. They're going to win close Justin games. Justin Tucker seems it. to win more games than any kicker in the league. Well, and after he hit this one, he's just walking around the field like this so and his funny. arms out. I mean, the guy's you know, he's loving it. If a game, though, is led by the kicking star – it's always going to be at the back end of the show. Yeah, that's just the way it works. Justin Tucker is – I tweeted this out. He's the NFL kicker version of Ern McCracken from Kingpin. <laughs> Very high on himself. Uh, doesn't care if other people don't like him uh, because he knows like he's that. the best. I like that. Finally, the Los Angeles Rams. Break out the Rams and get that extension signed. Jeff Fisher, sign the blanket extension quick. <laughs> Case Keenum and Todd Gurley each had two touchdowns in the L.A. Rams. Broke out of their season-long offensive slump, a 37-32 to road win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Greg, number one, what's going on with your Team of ATL nominee? And number two, 37 points for the Rams? Huh? Yeah. Well, I'm not giving up. Wrong team to play that song for. You're not I, giving up? No. I don't care. I'm going to root for them. I think they're going to be good in the long run. They still have I like that attitude. They still have things that I'm excited about, but their defense – was a problem. Their game management was a problem. They lost. They they were the better team in this game. 470 yards of offense. They lost. Whoa. They lost eight points, two extra points, and then missed two point conversions and missed field goals because so, Aguayo's killing them. And then the key play of the game, really the only offense that the Rams had in the last 25 minutes, was a sack fumble. Uh, that bounced up, and they returned it 75 yards with a Ethan Westbrook's a hard knocks favorite. His, Ethan. Probably the play uh, of his career. <laughs> and they win the game. I'm I'm rooting for Roberto Aguayo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, second round pick. But this is why you don't draft a kicker in the second round, because now you might have to carry an extra kicker on your roster because you can't trust the one you just invested so heavily in. That's true. That's a tough spot. That is a very tough they, spot. That, the missed extra point and the field goals, they were chasing that throughout the game. I also think Dirk Cotters made some very curious decisions the last week, last two weeks, and his lack of timeout call at the end of this game was absolutely insane. They ended up running – the clock ended with the, the Bucks in the red zone, still with two timeouts in their pocket, and they burned 20 seconds on, on just a few plays before that when Charles Sims didn't go out of bounds. It was – it was absolutely crazy, but give, get, do give some credit to the Rams. I mean, the first place Rams. Defense. They're in first place. Well, how first about so in the NFC West? And we talked about Gurley being so hamstrung in that offense with the way they were set up over the first two weeks. I'm looking at it. I see 85 yards, 3.1 average. I don't know. I mean, are, are we? Is there more hope here? Had a good second half. He he was the average was much lower than that in the first half and they did run the ball a little bit in the second half ran it pretty well this was you know a bucks team without robert ayers without doug martin um Gurley looked better he looked a little better you were very uh you were sending praise toward robert quinn during the game well i think robert quinn makes this defense totally different because ogletree is playing well 
He's always in the mix of getting you know, penalties for playing too aggressively. But Robert Quinn, suddenly you have not just Aaron Donald, the best defensive tackler, one of them in the league. Now you have a, a guy in Robert Quinn who's a defensive player of the year type of player, and he looks really good the last couple of games. He made the key couple of plays in this game to win it. By the way, Ethan Westbrooks is the uh-huh. – that's his official sound drop. Anytime he comes up on this podcast. <laughs> he is the guy from Hard Knocks that uh, had the tattoo on his face and that insane drill instructor – uh, defensive line coach uh, wadded up a ball of paper and threw it in his face uh, in a fit of rage at one point. In the most forgettable season of Hard Knocks awesome. in human history. Little, little trivial, trivia on Ethan Westbrook. Also the guy when Michael uh-huh. Sam was drafted. <laughs> they were like, I, I don't think we can keep Sam on the roster. We're going to cut him because this guy Ethan Westbrook beat him out. Uh-huh. Wow. What a rich history. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, my one, my one thing, Greg, because I think your conceit that their offense here and there and you didn't, have Doug, you didn't have Doug Martin on the field today, Scored that their offense is is interesting to watch. I'll give you that. My problem is they've given up 77 points in two weeks, and you just went on a three-minute diatribe about massive coaching decision blunders. Those things hopefully can be overcome. Well, you got a lot of sandwiches tied in, up. In, in what you call the most exciting Maybe. division of football. So there's a lot to wade through here. 405 yards for the <laughs> Winston. Spoiler alert, the Buccaneers will not be the team of well, ATL. They never, they never had a chance. <laughs> For those of you alive two weeks ago listening to this, They're that's still a spoiler. The team of Greg T.L. T-H-A-L. Um, got a lot of splintering here. On Total mutiny. Uh, anyway, that's it for the games. We move on now to Sunday Night Football. Yes, you heard, Carrie. That means it's time to talk about the primetime game played in front of Al, Chris, and the world. The Dallas Cowboys in Jarrah World haven't won there since week one of the 2015. Let's slow down on her. Yeah, is it me or is Carrie kind of like, oh, Sunday night? You know, she doesn't sound that excited for this game. She knew the Bears were involved. I mean, how the Bears, uh, we're talking about the Bears in a primetime game for the second time in six days or five days. Maron, come on, get it together, society. Anyway, the Bears were no match for the Dallas Cowboys, who looked like the better team, played like the better team. And in the end, the final score told us the Cowboys were the better team. 31-17. to 17. Put it in the books. The Cowboys win. They move to 2-1. and one. The Bears, uh, in a wounded animal game, fall to 0-3. Oh you know what that means, Mark? 0-3? Oh Next what does week, it mean? Next week, starving dog game. <laughs> Your anti-take on animals and pets in general, I don't, uh, I don't understand it. Why are you reading into it like I'm against animals? Here, just here's the, the thing, though. Wouldn't a wound, I would rather be a starving dog than being a wounded animal. Typical it's, Patriots fan. It's <laughs> it's, is, it, what, is it better to be 0-3 uh, than 0-2? It's the rib cage is showing. It's a very sad thing. Uh, when once you become the starving dog. But right now, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, who got a big game out of Ezekiel Elliott, who looked every bit like the running back that they drafted uh, so high uh, this uh, spring. He ran the ball 30 times for 140 yards, uh, didn't find the end zone, but still, that is what they were looking for, added two catches for 20 yards. So 160 yards in offense from Elliott. Dak Prescott, again, looked tremendous, 19-24, 248, and his first career touchdown that went to, yes, a perfect night for the Dallas Cowboys. Des Bryant, who overcame an early scare in the first quarter with a knee uh, issue and uh, had uh, a presence in this game, including his first touchdown of the season. So the Cowboys uh, are now 2-1, and one. 
which puts them one game behind the Philadelphia Eagles. And Chris Wessling, uh, forget about the Bears, boring. The Cowboys, what did you see today? Did you like what you saw? I liked what I saw, and I like – we should have had the periscope running when Ezekiel Elliott hurdled the defender <laughs> and caused Mark Sessler to raise his level of interest in the game by about 300% yelling profanities at the screen in our studio. <laughs> I thought it was – you know, Elliott over the first two weeks been a little up and down. Uh, the whole offense has been a little up and down, but they've had their moments. Elliott tonight – in what great contrast to Chicago's rushing game and their complete low wattage lack of exciting running backs, Elliott performed. This game was about him, and they smothered the Bears tonight. And to me, it showed that the Cowboys are a good enough team that they take care of business. They beat a team that they should beat, which is – I don't think we should take that for granted when it comes to this Cowboys team who doesn't really have a defense, who has a fourth-round rookie starting at quarterback – each and every week, Dak Prescott looks like a veteran quarterback. In the last two games alone, their eight scoring drives all went for over 72 yards. So this is a team that's dictating, especially in the first quarter. He's the anti-Blake Bortles, and the Cowboys are the anti-Jaguars. When the game starts, they do what they want to do for a quarter, and they set the tempo. And what a relief it must be for Jerry Jones, uh, for Jason Garrett, for every Cowboy fan watching that for Tony Romo to get hurt and then know that the season's not over, to know that you're still in capable hands with Dak Prescott, who looks so good, does not look anything like a late-round uh, quarterback, a guy that, that can carry this team or help carry this team all the way till Tony Romo gets back. And if Tony Romo's not right or if he goes down again, they're okay. It's interesting. Greg pointed out that Dak Prescott's and Carson Wentz's passing stats are almost identical Wentz has the five touchdowns. Prescott has two rushing touchdowns to go with his one score. But otherwise, their numbers look great. I think Cowboys fans have to be thrilled with the guy they ended up drafting when they couldn't get uh, Paxton Lynch and Connor Shaw. They get, or Connor Cook. they get the 49ers next week, and that's a game that you want to win if you're the Cowboys. And then suddenly you're 3-1. and one. The schedule gets a little harder after that. But when you're thinking about Prescott and Romo, it's like you want to get to 5-5 five and five or 6-4. and four and it's, it's not like this offense looks – not much worse than you would have expected it to be on a Romo. It's a little more limited. And they should have some defensive players coming back after week four, too. Well, right. This was where they wanted to get to without being in sort of a disaster zone. And it's been the opposite. There's a ton of hope in Dallas. You've got what could be, you know, the makings of your new triplets that, you know, Cowboys fans still look back to the 90s and wonder when they'll ever win a Super Bowl again, be a regular playoff-type team. And the idea that what happened last year with Romo out, it's not just you have someone to take you to Romo's return. We don't know what's going to happen with Romo. That's and enough, enough hot takes with that. But so you've you, got a quarterback for the long term to, to continue to grow behind Romo if you even want to bring him back for a couple more years. Your triplets are Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Cole Beasley? No, I would say they're obviously Des Bryant. Oh, but Des Bryant. Well, Beasley's still outplaying Des Bryant. In well, the first I, three games. Th that is one fascinating part of this offense because there continues to be a ton of players targeted, and Ellie and, and Des is not the guy coming out, you know, stat line wise with the numbers each week. And uh, NFL schedule makers, come back to us, please. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they're back in prime time. The Bears are back in prime time, week seven and eight. They are the worst team in the league. And they are less watchable than some of the other bad teams 
like, say, the Browns, who I think are entertaining, or even the 49ers, who are so crazy that you can watch them. The Bears are the worst. The, the Browns are the first team you could think of? I mean, I, of the how about an actual, league, yeah. like, real contender? It's not like I'm, the no, I'm just saying Bears going well, into the I'm season. I'm saying among bad teams, they're even particularly unwatchable. But my I, point is, going into the season, the Bears, there was no excitement around this team anyway. I don't understand how they got these. I guys. don't know what they were thinking. Weird. Back in, you know, the early spring when they're creating these schedules, that Chicago made sense for America and football fans as four primetime games because you go back to anything under John (laughs) Fox, Chicago was laying unwatchable eggs last year. So what happened between then and now that suggests them as primetime? This is our last podcast. You would think that (laughs) prescience would be a quality you would want in a schedule maker. Yes, that they need to be. Prescience, Wes. Oh, okay. Went out on on a low note. It's. I am not watching those games. I don't know if if I'm assigned to any task. The task will not get done. Join me in walking down Washington Boulevard and straight into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I'm with you. That's it. Um, uh, for all the uh, Sunday games, uh, we will be back on uh, on on Tuesday with another round of podcast. Uh, good good show, guys. Everybody, remember uh, you could still check us out on Periscope if you follow. There's like a link that. Uh, we'll send out from the Around the NFL account. You could check it out. And uh, going forward next week, every week, right around, I would say, uh, you know, the second quarter sometime of the Sunday night game uh, in that realm, we we begin our recording of the Sunday night podcast. So check in on Periscope. And, of course, uh, uh, over on the iTunes Challenge, keep that going on and leave comments, uh, leave five stars. That's how we take down the shadowy league figure. Leave three stars. We need this to be a revolution. No, no, Mark. Oh, five. Five. Okay. You know, first you're taking down the team of ATL. I'm just saying, now be honest. I am show. saying I trust that most would leave five stars, but be honest. If it's not wow. your thing. No, here's the you problem. Know. Now people are, are going to, as a bit, leave three stars. Don't, like Mark well, told me to do Don't this. do a bit. <laughs> the, keep, don't, keep it up. Yeah, we five. We need recap the five. biggest show Yeah, ever. they might take our sponsor away. <laughs> oh, we, we, we're going to have news on that. Good tease, Wes. All right. We will be back on Tuesday. Thank you for listening. This is Dan Hansen signing off for the quiet storm, the mailman, the boss, and Irish behind the glass. Yeah, till Tuesday. Yeah. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com slash compatibility.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 